Second Peter, and I'm just going to take a pause on Thessalonians. We'll try to come back to that next week, Lord willing. But I want to jump in in Second Peter chapter one and and read several sentences here. But there's a just one concept I really want to pull out. But let's just jump into verse uh, verse two. Second Peter chapter one verse two. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. That knowledge there means the recognition and discernment. And you see and discern and recognize your God and Jesus Christ. If you can, that's where grace and peace are going to flow from. If you can't see them yet, don't expect to be receiving grace and peace. Grace and peace be multiplied. That's a superabundance, multiple factor there. Through the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge, same word, of him that hath called us, has called us to glory and virtue. The word virtue there literally means valor, manliness, or valor. Called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. So that exceeding great and precious, those are uh, words all to describe how special, how wonderful, how uh, words can't even capture, you know, the greatest promises. And that precious means valuable. Exceeding great, the greatest possible promises that you could receive. They've been given unto us, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So you have been given through your new birth and through his word and through your life as you grow here as a follower of God. You've been given the tools that you need so that you can serve him here below. And you've got precious promises of what is to come but there is a serving here in the meantime. And you've been given those tools. All right? All that's been given, all that... According to his divine power, has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And that godliness, the concept of that is um, devoutness, piousness, reverence. Um, that makes sense. Has given unto us glory, have called us unto glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, what Christ is, who he is, and what he's done, and where you'll be with him. Those are precious precious promises and truths that you've escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust alright you are no longer bound to be a slave to sin you're not he sets you free from that and besides this giving all diligence mindfulness attentiveness prompt speed do something add add to your faith Virtue, same word as before, that, that manliness, that valor, excellence. Add to your faith virtue. And then to your virtue, add knowledge, understanding, again, discernment. To knowledge, add temperance. We don't use that word very often. That means self-control, regulating yourself, not being subject to passions and blowing here and there, but having your body and your mind trained, self-control, to knowledge, temperance, to temperance, patience, to be able to endure cheerfully regardless of what is going on, patience, and to patience, godliness, man, we talked about devotion, piousness, um, reverence, and then to godliness, brotherly kindness, and that word, Greek word, literally means brotherly love, love within the church, your brothers and sisters, that should be something we should be growing in. And then to brotherly kindness, charity. Charity just means love in general. That's that charity that Jesus talked about, even loving your enemies. Right? Loving. Charity. And that's biblical love and charity, not our kind of sorry worldly version. For if these things be in you, if they exist within you and abound, these are attributes and things that you are striving and growing in and they abound they shall make you that you be neither barren nor unfruitful that word barren means inactive idle remember in hebrews we talked about those who are dull of hearing and lazy and sluggards right if we're doing these things if 
we're growing in our walk and we're pursuing them, we're not going to be inactive or idle in our walk. And we won't be um, unfruitful. And that unfruitful means what it means. It means what it says. And barren, that which does not produce fruit. Okay? These things be in you and abound. They shall make you that you neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge. Again, that recognition, that discernment of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is talking to believers. Right? This is not talking to those who've never been born again. God did the born and again. Right? He did that all by himself. Right? Holy Spirit, you're now alive. You can discern and see Christ, who he is. Now what do you do? Right? But he that lacketh these things is blind. And that word blind literally means opaque or smoky. Have you seen the eyes of someone who's blind? They've got a kind of smoky look to them. He that has lacketh these things, and these things, all that we've been added there, adding all these things to your faith, if you lack them, he cannot see afar off. And that afar off literally means to have shut his eyes. He's closed his eyes and cannot see afar off and have forgotten that he was purged from his sins. All right? So this is one who's been born again, yes. But he's gotten idle and lazy and closed his eyes to those promises that are far off. And he is not living a life that glorifies God. He's... he's Un, unfruitful, barren, idle, and active. Y'all, we're not called to that. Okay? Wherefore, the rather... So he's saying, on the other hand, don't, don't be like that. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence, speed, prompt, earnestness, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Start firm or steadfast. This is not saying, make sure that you're really born again and that you're going to get into heaven. You don't have any control about that. But make sure... You're acting like someone who is born again and is really going to get into heaven, right? It's continue to give those evidences of be diligent about it. Care about it. Don't act like one who is blind and forgotten what Christ has done for you. Okay? Give diligence. For if you do these things, you shall never fail. And that fail means to trip or to err. Right? It's not saying you fall away from Christ and somehow one of God's elect is going to end up in hell. No. But... Y'all, we can stumble in our path and we can fall on our face and bust our nose because we're not doing the right things. But if we're pursuing these things, we're not going to. We're much less likely to. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. Peter here is saying, I'm going to remind you. And if I don't remind you, I'm being negligent. I'm not doing my job. And so this message that you're going to hear this morning, you've probably heard it before. But I'm going to do my job and remind you. Okay? Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you in remembrance of these things, though ye know them. That's good. You know them. Well, sometimes you know it and you're not doing it, so you can be reminded. Though you know it and be established in the present truth. So you may know, and you may even be doing it right now, but you need that reminder, and I need that reminder, to keep on keeping on. Okay? Knowing that shortly I must put off this tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus has shown me. Peter knew that his time uh, to depart from this life was coming near. And what does he care about most about passing upon? Reminded them about these things, about living a godly life and and growing, not being our static, idle, swampy pond Christians. You know, y'all ever been around water that ain't moved in a long time? It's, it's foul stuff, right? You don't really want to stick your toe in, right? What's the difference between that and a creek that's moving, right? Pretty clear, right? That's, we don't want to be swampy Christians, right? There's your kind of word Christian, for, word, word, word picture for the day, all right? I think it is meet, as long as I'm in this tabernacle, to stir you up. By putting you in remembrance, knowing that I must put off this that shortly I must put off this tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that after ye may be able after my decease, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. All right. So what was he saying? He wants to do? I want to stir you up, stir you up. All right. Go over to Revelation chapter three. And look at the message that's given from Jesus to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. The angel is a messenger. So in this context, it's most likely the pastor of that church. And under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, Revelation 3, starting verse 14, These things saith the Amen, the faithful, the true, and the witness, 
the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. That word cold there um, only appears three times in Scripture, two right there, and the other is over in, uh, in Matthew when it talks about giving a cold drink of water to one in my name. Okay, So that's kind of your, your context there. Is it's talking about what's refreshing. You know, hot day, you get a cold drink of water. That's refreshing. That's good. That's good. All right? Or you get a hot cup of coffee or something, right? Hot drink. That's good. Right? It can be hot outside. Still enjoy a warm cup of coffee. All right. Now imagine you got your van out there, like we did over the week, and we had our bottle of water sitting out there, and it'd been sitting in there all week, and you got you know, 89 degree bottle of water. Right? Is that going to be pleasant to drink? Is that refreshing? No. It's so nasty. You just kind of want to spit it out. It's like, it's not good for anything. Right? It says, "I know thy works. They're neither hot nor cold. There's nothing refreshing or diligent." about the works of this church, right? They have become lukewarm. Because thou art lukewarm, that lukewarm means tepid, all right? Not kind of your, your swamp water, right? They're just kind of there. They're doing stuff, but it's not with zeal. It's not with love. Neither cold, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And why? Because, well, honestly, because they had a lot of material blessings. They had a lot of comfort. It was easy. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increase with good and have need of nothing... And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Right? They had had the things of this world, so they had enough security. They felt like, okay, we've got it. Right? And that and and like that person who who had forgotten that their sins were purged and they're not growing in those graces, is that they don't recognize that as far as in their walk, they're just poor, blind, naked, um, wretched. Right? They need him. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. Now, this is written to a church. This isn't written to the world at large. This is written to a group of believers who have gone lukewarm. Their zeal for Christ has fallen flat. So he's saying, come back. Buy of me that which is gold tried with fire, that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that may be clothed, looking to him for what he wants and what he desires and what he will provide. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. We had that whole message recently, right? As many as he loves, he rebukes and chasten. He doesn't let you continue in this sorry state. Be zealous, therefore. That word zealous literally means to, to burn hot. Burn warm. Be warm, therefore. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Right? Turn from those lukewarm ways. Increase your heat and love for the Lord and follow after Him. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Again, this isn't written to the world at large. If Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart, no, this is Jesus knocking on the door of the church. Saying, hey, I'm the most important thing. Why am I on the outside? But if you hear me knocking, it's because you're turning back to going back to what is right and what's important. If anybody knocks me up and that one person goes and answers the door, he's going to come in and he's going to dwell with him. He's going to worship with him. That church can be that real church. And you and I need to be that real church where Jesus Christ is the head, not a figurehead. Right? England lost their figurehead. They're going to be fine. Right? She didn't have any real power. Our head has power and he's real and he lives and reigns. We sang that. He lives. That's who we worship. That's why we do everything that we do or should. All right? To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So if you haven't been given an ear to hear, you won't hear what he's just said. It's written to those that have ears. All right? So, stirring up, be zealous, repent. Go over to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. <clears throat> Different writer. You had John writing what Jesus had said there about being zealous. You had Peter writing the second 
general epistle to the strangers. Here you've got Paul writing to Timothy, saying, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance, I want you to bear this in mind, hold it in your mind, recollect it, that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For the Lord hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Okay? Put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God. All right? So this is your, your other word picture today is we're going to use a fire. Right? You're sitting around the campfire. You haven't messed with it. In an hour or so, what happens? It burns down, right? Coals are still there, right? But if you stick in that stick and give it a good twirl, right? It comes, flames up again, keeps going, stir up. That's really what, what we're talking about. We're talking about stoking a fire, right? You didn't light the fire, okay? Fire's there because the Holy Spirit gave you spiritual life, caused you to be born again. So you're not talking about lighting your own fire, but we're talking about are we tending the fire that the Lord gave us? Are we just passively sitting there looking at that fire? Man, I wish that thing would get bigger. But if there's no energy, there's no diligence, if there's no motion or effort or stirring in it, why are you expecting anything to change? All right, so stoking the fire. All right. Which leads me to the question that I want to think about this morning was... Well, how? How do you stir? How do you stir up the fire? How do you stoke it up? <coughs> there are many answers to this, and I'm not going to say I've got an exhaustive list, but these are things that I know that I need to give greater diligence to, and I'll be willing to wager a nickel that you probably need to give greater diligence to them as well. If you want to stir up your fire. So let's start with prayer. Prayer. Giving attendance to prayer. How often in these epistles in the New Testament is praying commanded, enjoined is your legal word. It means required. How often does it show up? Just about every one. I'll give you four examples. Start in Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 18, letter ends, Paul writing Ephesians saying, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. When does this fall into context? At the end of the armor. Right? Armor of God. All these things, and it ends with doing something, which is praying. How often? Always. Praying always with all prayer. And supplication in the Spirit, not just in yourself. So you have to have the Spirit within you if you're going to pray to the Lord and Him hear you. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Praying and supplication, praying and supplication. Always, always. Is that a description for your prayer life? Always? Or is it a sometimes? Or maybe, if I think about it, or I'm not too tired, if I can squeeze it in. How about Philippians? Philippians 4, verse 6. Be careful for nothing. This is talking about worry, stress, the things that you, that you are taking care for. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I think those two verses are, are connected. And the more you're in prayer and the more you're taking it to the Lord and leaving it there, the more you'll enjoy and experience that peace from God that you, that you can't explain. Can't explain it to someone else. You can't really explain it to yourself at times. Be careful for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication. All right, go for another one. How about Colossians? In that four, um, four verse two. Colossians four two. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying for us that God would open to us a door of utterance. So here, Paul's writing the letter. He says, "Y'all pray, y'all be attentive and watch, and oh yeah, pray for me too." 
that I can preach as I ought to and have opportunities to preach. Pray. Continue in prayer. All right. Thessalonians 5, 17. Y'all know this one. Three words. Pray without ceasing. All right. How important is prayer? How important is prayer? More important than you think it is. And more important than we act like it is. So if you want to start by stirring up the gifts within you to be about your father's business and serve him, we need to put prayer high in our list. Being intentional. Being deliberate. Setting aside time for it. Building your day around it rather than squeezing it in. You know, you can look for Daniel in the Old Testament for a model. How often did he pray? Well, he prayed at least three times a day. Right? And he had a time where he went aside where no one else was around and he prayed. Um, he didn't start praying just because there was persecution coming, right? Well, they're going to take away my prayer. I'm going to start praying. No, he was doing the same thing he was already doing. Right? So it wasn't the outside influence. His motivation was the same of going to commune with your Father, to worship Him. And in the course of all that, you're submitting yourself again. Every time you do, I have to submit myself to His will. And it's a good reminder for me and you that we're not the boss. Right? We get confused about that and are like, well, I'm the master of my own universe. No, Bubba, you're not. Right? You serve the master of the universe. And so every time we go to be in prayer, we should be reminding ourselves, and it should be reminding us, that we are humbling ourselves before the mighty hand of our God who loves us and that we're going to Him for His uh, desires and His wills. All right? So our motivation matters. All right? Regular, intentional, daily prayer. All right? Alone, not to be seen of men, not to be on the street corners like Pharisees. You know, sometimes, people, well, I pray every time I go out to eat in public. Okay. Do you pray when you're by yourself and nobody sees? If not, there's probably a problem. Okay? Prayer. We want to seek our Father's will. We want to draw near to Him. Right? We've got this opportunity to go to the throne of grace. Right? Jesus made that access open. You know, the Old Testament, it was all about things being still, the path hadn't been made clear. There was still a, a veil. You can't come nigh. Only the high priest could come into the most holy place to commune with God once a year, and that had to be with blood. But now, the way is open, which we all have access by one spirit, by the work of Jesus Christ. Right, Elliot? Let us not count that as cheap. It came at a very high cost. All right? How do we stir ourselves up? Well, one, pray. Pray about it. You can imagine that. If you're praying, you're meditating on it, you're stirring that stick in that fire. Right? Stirring it up. <coughs> so, it leads me to my other one. Is closely connected to that is the idea of meditation. Now, I am not talking about Eastern mysticism, go cross your legs and feel your pulse on your fingers, go on, diggy diggy. No. Yes. Those are people who are trying to achieve some kind of different mental state and trying to achieve nirvana. I don't know what they're trying to achieve, but <laughs> the point is the word meditation means to allow something to roll around in your head, to revolve around it. You meditate on things all the time, they're called your problems. <laughs> your cares, your worries, the things that you chew on all the time, that's what you're meditating on. All right? That's not what you called to meditate on. Remember what we're supposed to do with those cares and worries? <laughs> Take them to the Lord. All right? But what are we supposed to meditate on? Go to Philippians chapter 4. Paul gives the letter to the Philippians here saying, Here's some things you ought to be thinking about. Brethren, whatsoever things are true. There's a lot of things that aren't true. Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, valor, manliness, if there be any praise, think on these things. How many of these things that you look at on Facebook or on your phone meet all those criteria? Very few, if any. How about the things you watch on TV or the things you listen to on your radio or podcast or whatever? I mean, there are so many different sources of input, right? You know, think a couple hundred years ago when the sun got down, you know what happened? It got dark, okay? 
if you didn't have electricity, because it hadn't been invented yet, and you had a candle, you may read by that candle for a little bit, but eventually you don't want to waste your candle because those cost money. You put that thing out, and you go to bed, right? Or maybe you look at the stars. You have some time for some cogitation. But here, you have an unlimited access to garbage all the time. Your phones, your computers, your TVs, your books, your magazines, whatever it is, there are things that are not true, not honest, unjust, defiled, gross, a bad report with no virtue and no praise, and yet we spend a lot of time looking at them. Self-included. I'm not, I'm not on the high horse here. This is, this is just the truth. If you want to stir yourself up, be mindful about what are you putting in. What are you putting into your, to your mind? What are you dwelling on? Are you dwelling on the things of the Lord? Or are you dwelling on the things of this world? You want to know something that matches all those categories? Right here. True, honest, just, lovely, pure, good report, the written word of God. That meets all of them. You know what else? Jesus himself. Right? Now, there are other things that are not bad, but they're not the best either. And as we talked about in Hebrews, that we've got to grow up and be able to use our senses through training and exercise to discern the difference between good and evil and find that which is best versus just, eh, okay. <coughs> Meditate. You know, we saw that back in Psalms, Psalm 1. That's how it kicks off. Psalm 1, verse 2, it's talking about the blessed man who doesn't do certain things, he doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly or sit in the way of sinners nor stand in the way of sinners nor sit in the seat of the scornful but what's his delight? His delight is the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night. You know the southern term is chew on it. Right? You go think on it. Well if you're not in it what you got to chew on? It's like going to Thanksgiving and not picking up a bite. It's there. It's accessible. Come on. Pick up your turkey leg. Start chewing. How about Psalm 77? Psalm 77, verse 12. I will meditate also on all thy work and talk of thy doings. Whose work? God's work. You serve an awesome God. He's created an awesome universe. Don't worship the universe, but you can worship Him. You can talk about what great things He's done. Talk about His doings. There are things to meditate on, to dwell on, rather than the problems and the fears and the hardships and the anxieties that we have about this world because we live in a sin-cursed, fallen world. And guess what? It's going to stay a sin-cursed and fallen world until the Lord comes up and folds it up and puts it away. So don't expect there to be some utopia here on this world before Christ comes back. It ain't going to happen. Right? In fact, it says the opposite. It says men are going to wax worse and worse. And we'll talk about next week about there being a falling away and departing farther and farther from the face. So how are you going to stir yourself up? Using your little word picture there of stirring your fire. Take your stick and pray to the Lord and meditate on Him. Spend your time chewing on that rather than on Wasting your time on other things in this world. Okay? Go over to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll see another good list of things that we can be doing. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. It's the first letter to young preacher here. Till I come, till Paul comes to visit him again, give attendance. Again, the idea of attendance is to hold in your mind. Be mindful of it. Be deliberate of it. These things don't happen by accident. Got to put some effort and, and, and thought into it. Give attendance to reading. To reading. Now, Timothy is a young preacher. Is this only applicable to young preachers? No. Y'all are blessed in that you have the entire revealed Scripture, Word of God, available to you. In your language, in your home, you don't have to walk down to the synagogue and check out a book. Maybe they'll let you use it, or maybe someone else has to read it to you. I don't know. Hey, you can read. These are all blessings that you have. So give attendance to the reading of the Word. 
Same with prayers. You've got intentional, deliberate prayer. You need to have intentional and deliberate Bible reading. I read my verse for the day. That ain't going to cut it. I read my chapter for the day. I'll read five. Yeah, we've got to study. And, there, and I'm going to say there's two categories of study. One I'm going to say is broad, right? Broad. Broad can be superficial, thin, but you need the broad gamut for context. That's what we're trying to do here with reading through the Bible together as a church over the course of a year, all right? You can get the whole thing, and you start reading through the whole thing multiple times. You'll pick up on those patterns a whole lot more, and the things from way over here will make more sense because you've read way over here three or four times, and you can start to make these connections. You need that broad spectrum of reading, all right? You may not get an intense amount of it every time you read. You may be going through Second Chronicles and reading those genealogies, and, man, this is kind of hard, but keep going, get through it, because if nothing else, it shows that God knows exactly what he was doing, right? He said... Jesus was going to come from this ascendance. Here it is! Right? Keep going in that broad reading. But that's not enough. Okay? You also need to have an in-depth reading. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. That's looking at particular characters or figures, reading their life and seeing what lessons you can draw from them. That's reading individual books. Um... That's word studies, that's topic studies, that's doctrinal studies. There are a lot of different ways that you can start plumbing down in the depth that you will not get if you only do the broad. Give attendance to reading. Broad's important. You need that broad context. It helps you when you start drilling down for the deeper ones. And if you need some ideas on, on ways to do deep studies, let's chat at lunch. We can do that. But each of you have the responsibility. I've got, you know, basically an hour each Sunday morning to give you some information. That can't be it for the week. I mean, we have Sunday afternoon services. Um, we'll have Bible studies on Wednesday night. And there are other times where I can give you a little bit more information, a little bit more information. But that can't be the bulk, right? If you only came and ate once a week, Maybe twice a week. You know what the rest of your week you'd feel like? A little grumpy? <laughs> Hungry? Your ribs would be showing? Everyone looking like, what is wrong with that guy? He's starving to death. Somebody get him a meal. You know, that's how you treat yourself spiritually when you don't eat. Use your word picture from the fire. What's the word there? Words can be the more fuel you put on it. Pick up some sticks. Chunk them in. And as you grow, well, maybe you can only handle the little twigs to start with, and that's fine. But as you grow, you need to start putting on the bigger logs and growing in depth. Not be content with just those little itty-bitty twigs. All right. Now, if your fire is cold and you chunk on a whole log, is that sucker going to burn? No. <laughs> right. So build up to it, work up to it, grow, that's fine. But don't be static. Don't stay there. Just be like, well, okay. I've joined the church, and I've read through the Bible once, maybe, but, you know, I'm done. No. Give attendance to your reading. It's good for you. That goes, how do we stir it up? You know, this is so important that Peter's about to die. I want to remind you to do something. Paul's reminding Timothy. I want you to do something. Stir it up. Give attendance. Give attendance to prayer, meditation, to reading. Add some fuel to it. Learn. Grow. Through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we'll grow in that knowledge. Where do you learn from Him? It's not going to be from, from dreams. It's not going to be from you know, visions. I mean, the Lord can, can do that. He's God. But this is where He is given the most clarity, and this is what everything else has to be checked against. Okay, This is your standard. Give attendance to reading. All right? And again, our motivation matters. Why am I going to read? I'm going to read so Brother Jonathan will get off my back on Wednesday night. Or did he read? That's not a good motivation. <laughs> right? That's reading just enough to get the teacher to not call on me. Right? You know, you ever did that in high school? I've read just enough of that 20 pages so that if I get called on, I may have a shot at the question. But mostly I'm kind of hiding under the desk because I really don't want to be called on. That's not a good motivation. The motivation is I want to grow and know more about my Lord. Right? I want to grow in that knowledge. I want to be able to answer, right, in 1 Peter 3 and 14 through 16, it talks about 
in the midst of suffering, being ready to answer when someone has to call upon you and ask, well, what's that hope that you got? Why are you so cheerful and patiently enduring? You've got all this garbage going on because you're following Christ. Why do you have that hope? Well, we need to be able to answer, and we'll have a much better answer if we know. Right? The kind of general theory knowledge, well, this is what the preacher may say, but if you, you don't have that internalized, you don't know, this is what Scripture says, then it's not just theory, it's the reality that you're living. Get in to be in your word. All right? And as we looked back in Hebrews not too long ago, there was that storm admonition about the time when you need to be teachers. You have to be fed again, that milk. You're not ready for that strong meat. You need to be teachers. All of you need to be teachers. There's, there's different roles in teaching. You, know? you may not be called to be a preacher and pastor. That's fine. You may be called to be a mother. Or a grandmother, and there are those under you who you need to be teaching. Older sisters to younger sisters. Older brothers to younger brothers. Whatever the role is, you have opportunities to teach. But if you haven't studied your lesson and you're still like that basic kindergartner, no one's going to put you in front of the class. And you're certainly, if you get put in the front of the class, it's not going to go very well. Right? So we need to be preparing ourselves so that we're ready to be teached. So we can be skilled in the word of righteousness. Alright? So stir yourself up. So what's it come after reading? Till I come, give attendance to reading. What else? To exhortation. Well, what does that mean? Right? I remember when I first started preaching, I was sitting over on that side of Shoal Creek, and Brother Jimmy looked at me and said, Brother Jonathan, do you have a word of exhortation for the church this morning? I had no idea what he wanted me to say. <laughs> and I think I kind of moaned, well, I'm just sure glad to be here this morning. <laughs> An exhortation, great preacher word. You don't use it in common vernacular, right? But it means to implore, to invite, to give solace. What's that? Well, that's another big word. Comfort. To comfort. So, basically, it's open your face and talking about Jesus. That's really what it comes down to. And depending on the circumstances, are you telling the good news for someone who you can see is hurting and needs comfort, yeah, that's great. That's an exhortation. Or if you seeing somebody who looks like they want to follow with their someone or not, they just need that invitation. Come on, come and see, come follow me. Right? I'm imploring you, I'm begging you, I'm sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Guess what? When you do that, you're stirring yourself up, right? Because you're having to remind yourself. That truth is you share it. In Acts chapter 4, there was that period um, where the apostles um, were were being persecuted, and their crime was that they were talking about Jesus. Acts 4 and 29, they went back to their company after they'd been in jail and beaten and released and everything, and they'd, they'd gone back, and what did they... They prayed. The whole group of them together got together and they prayed, The Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. And by stretching forth thine hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. You think that all is limited to just the preachers in the mixed? No. You all have a testimony to share. You all have an exhortation to give. You all have the opportunity to share what great things God has done for you. Right? Remember that old wild Gadarean, right? He was healed, had all those legion of devils possessed with him. He wanted to follow Jesus. Jesus said, No. He said, Go home to your friends and your family. And tell them what great things God has done to you. And I just read that again this morning. I didn't write it down wherever it is. But he went and he published it throughout the whole city. He didn't just go to his friends and family. He went and told everybody. You want to stir yourself up again? You open your mouth and you talk about Jesus. Quit acting scared that you might hurt somebody's feelings. Guess what? You will. <laughs> The world hated your master and killed him. 
the world will not like you or appreciate you or calling out things that they're doing that they're enjoying anyway. And you're not going to convince them otherwise. And it's not your job to. But your job is to brag on your God and talk about Him because He is going to have His little sheep. And many of them operating under very distorted theology and, and, and chains as we talked about. It's like a little lamb who's having to drag around all these chains of false teaching that just wears them down. What a comfort you can give by saying, let me tell you what Scripture actually says. And look, here it is. Because I know it because I've been reading. And it's not just my opinion or I think or I feel. I don't care what you feel. Your feelings don't matter, right? That is not an authority that you can go to. Well, I feel that my God would do... What a claim to have the authority over the God of the universe. No, this is what the God of the universe has said about himself. That's your standard, right? If I feel anything different, I need to adjust my feelings to match this. But if I'm not in Scripture, how am I going to have that check on myself? Because my, my carnal self wants to be in charge, right? Even to the point where I want to rule over what my God would or wouldn't do. That's some pride and hubris, and you better watch out. And I better watch out. There's going to be a humbling coming. All right? Stir yourself up. It's in Luke 8, 34 for that wild gallery. I finally found it on my notes there. All right? So, we've got prayer. Intentional, deliberate, regular. Meditation. Chewing on the good things. Things that are right, chewing on the things of God, being in His Word, and then sharing about it. Do you know how the Lord led me to be a preacher? He convicted me and got me into His Word, and in the midst of reading about, it, I was like, "Oh my goodness, look at all this serious stuff! I gotta tell, I gotta talk about it." Thanks. I don't like being in front of people, <laughs> but the Lord said, "This is what you're gonna do," and He, you know, through being in His Word, I was like, "I, I suddenly had a lot that needed to be shared," right? Well, I don't know how to talk to people. I don't know what to say. Well, maybe you don't have enough content to talk about. You feel like you've got to make it up. Well, you don't. you just got to tell the truth about your God. Maybe you don't know very much about Him. I'm sorry. Learn about Him. Amen. Give a diligence. Give, remember back in Hebrews 6? You've got to give that same diligence to the full assurance of the hope, that whole truth of what Christ has done and who he is, you need to have that same diligence that they were already demonstrating in serving one another and ministering to the saints. You're like, that's good. God won't forget that. But use that same diligence towards the whole truth, to the doctrine, right? That's kind of the next thing there is um, giving attendance to reading, giving to exhortation and to doctrine. And I flipped my page, so I'm looking at it for where it's supposed to be. It's not there. So go back to First, first Timothy 4, 13, to exhortation and to doctrine. Yeah, to doctrine. Give attendance to doctrine. What do I believe? And it's not, what do I believe because I believe it. It's, what do I believe because Scripture says it. And I may not be exactly right on that, but let me learn more about Scripture and get closer to what Scripture says. Not just one Scripture, but the totality of it. So many people are led astray because somebody will pull one little verse out of context and say, see, see, it says right here. I can do whatever I want. Yeah, you can twist Scripture. They were twisting Scripture back in Peter's day. He said, you know, Paul, he wrote some things that are hard to be understood. And those that are unlearned in the Scripture, they're struggling with it. And they're twisting it because they don't do it. It's like they're wrestling in a wrestling match with Scripture. You shouldn't get in a wrestling match with Scripture, right? We should be humble enough to say, Lord, I don't understand this, but Lord, show it to me. You know, as I continue to you know, read and grow, you know, show it to me. But I'm not going to try and twist it to match whatever I already think. Right? I'm not the master over Scripture. So give attendance to doctrine. And doctrine, that's a big word. Right? Doctrine just means instruction. That little by little, little by little, line upon line, precept upon precept. That's how we grow. That's how we see the pattern. So it's like feeding that fire, giving that fuel. It's, you put in the little twigs first. All right? Then you put in the bigger sticks. And as it's growing and getting hotter, you can put in those weighty and mature things, the big honking logs, and they can slow burn for hours and hours and hours. Whereas with the little stuff, it just what, only lasts a little time. Takes diligence. And I may be forcing this metaphor too far, so forgive me, but stir it up, right? <laughs> Build it up over time. All right, we talked about meditation. All right, got a few more. We just call these catch alls, right? Keep godly companions. All right, I'm going to force this metaphor farther. Are you hanging out with other clumps of coal who are, you know, ignited by the Lord? Or are you hanging out with buckets of sand? Are any of those buckets of sand ever going to ignite? 
Are they ever going to make you burn brighter? No, why do you think they put their cigarettes out in it? Why do you think <laughs> fire extinguishers are mostly, you know, sand, right? Pressurized. It's not a fuel that burns, right? You cannot make one who is not God's ignite with spirit. You're not going to have a positive impact on one who's dead. Now, God can change that bucket of sand into a living fire. That's great. He can. You can't. And so in the meantime, well, yes, you can give exhortations to everybody. You need to be investing and caring and spending the most time in those that you already see are trying to love the Lord and that they are like you, that they are a new creature created unto good works to serve Him. And there should be a difference. Now, we're not all going to be in the same spot along our journey. Well, you can't be a child of God because you don't do this. And I certainly... You know, uh-uh. Right? We've all got the spectrum of where we got to grow. The whole point of this whole message is that you've got to grow. And i got to grow. But we need to keep godly companions because if you're hanging out with buckets of sand, don't expect your fire to burn brighter. Go over to Proverbs 13 and 20. He that walketh with the wise shall be wise. That's good. What's this companion couplet there? But a companion of fools shall be destroyed. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. All right, so you've got a description of those who are wise, who discernment, who can see Jesus Christ and know that He is Lord. And you've got those, there is no God. Who are you hanging out with? Who are you spending your time and investing in? How about Proverbs 27 and 17? Proverbs 27, 17, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Okay? When you are hanging around godly companions, there will be a mutual sharpening effect. Now, boys and I watch Forge and Fire, and they're going at those grinders, sharpening those knives, right? That looks like a painful process for the knife. <laughs> right? The sparks are flying. Things are getting chipped off. But at the end, you've got this something that's so much sharper and better than it was. Right? You go hack through a log with a dull billet, it ain't going to go so well. But one that's been ground down and sharper is able to do some work is be productive, be useful, right? That sharpening process looks mighty unpleasant. But who you're hanging out with can either be a sharpening and mutual sanding and benefit of each other, or you can be hanging out with some bricks and you're just pounding your billet on bricks and getting duller and chipped and ragged, right? Choose your companions wisely. Be around godly people who want to serve God. You'll be an encouragement to them and they'll be an encouragement to you. It's like kind of sharing those coals. You're making each other burn brighter, right? It's part of the reason God structured His church so that we come together to assemble. The church, the called out assembly. So keeping godly companions, that means come to church. When the doors are open, come. It's for your good. You want to stir up your service for the Lord? Come to church. <laughs> Spend time with your brothers and sisters outside of church. Make those efforts. Labor. All right? Deliberate, intentional, regular, making time for these things in your life, right? Not squeezing time. So you make time for what you want to do. Let's just be honest. If I got tickets to the Super Bowl and you cared about things like that, you would make time. You would rearrange your schedule. You um, you figure it out. You know, I didn't give you a plane ticket. just gave you, you got to get to Washington, wherever. You figure out if that's something you really care about. And so there's a lot of excuses that we can come up with for why we're not going to invest our time in prayer and meditation and dwelling in the Word and coming to church. There's a lot of excuses, but the reality is it's because we don't care about it enough. And that's a hard issue. Okay? Keep godly companions. And explicitly includes the regular attendance of our church service. And you need to labor to build up your godly companions. That's part of your job. It's not just to come and get... Well, it's better for me. Well, it's better for them, too. And we need to be laboring to make it better for them. And you know what? In your labor outward to others, the Lord builds you up, too. So we're not coming to get, but coming to give. All right? A couple other catch-alls. So maybe you're doing all those things, and you just you don't feel stirred up. Right? And I'm not, not using that in terms of just emotion, but you know when you're just kind of going through the motions. Right? Something's still off. In my service, I'm just, it seems like I don't have that joy of my salvation. I'm not close to the Lord. I'm doing these things. Well, maybe we need to examine our life, but we definitely need to examine our life 
for unconfessed and unrepentant sins. Those patterns of behavior that we're continuing to do. We've got those skeletons in our closet. You know why they're still in our closet? Because we like them. Right? Otherwise, we'd get rid of it. Right? So there's aspects about the, our old nature and carnal self. There are things that we do that are wrong. And we continue to do them that are wrong. And that is always going to hinder us in moving forward to the Lord. Right? It's like pouring water on your fire. Good luck. Now that can be looking at inappropriate images. That can be um, abusing substances. That can be gossiping. That can be coveting stuff. That can be anger. I mean, you, we could have a whole sermon on the stuff it could be. Y'all know what the stuff can be. And you know your lives. And you know what you struggle with. That it's, it's unconfessed. You're unrepentant of it. You continue to do it because you enjoy it. It's going to continually hinder your zeal for the Lord. Lay it down. Cut it off. That's why when he described about cutting off your right hand, if it offends you, that offends. That means it's not that it's ugly and I, I don't like it. The fact is it's that close to you, but it causes you to sin because it's something you like. It's a painful process. Sever it. Is it going to hurt? Yeah. Is it better for you overall? Yes. And don't physically go and cut off your hands. That's your takeaway. We've missed the point. Let's talk at lunch. Okay? But examine yourself for those things, those patterns of behavior that you've continued to indulge in over and over and over again, and we need to let them go. Lay them down. All right? What else? If you're doing all those things and you're still struggling, still feeling like you're not drawing close to the Lord, you're not being blessed in your efforts... Check your pride. Check your pride. If you're coming at all these tasks with a notion of how can I look good, how can I appear to be Christian, how can I impress people, how can I get people off my back, whatever it is, where it's for someone else's you know, seeing and for my personal benefit, you've got the wrong motivation. Right? You're stirring up the gift of God that's within you to serve God, to give Him glory and honor. And none of that does it say to serve me, to give me honor, to make me look good so I can be awesome and so people can appreciate me. Right? Pride. Pride is saying that I'm the most important and I need to be seen. Rather, we need to be clothing ourselves in humility. You read that over in 1 Peter 5, right? Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. Right? And he'll exalt you. He'll lift you up. You don't have to lift up yourself in his service. And in fact, the lower you are in his service, the more effective you'll be. Right? That's why he said his leaders, that they need to be low, because that's the pattern that Christ gave. You know? To come and to be a minister. You know, sometimes in our culture, that's, that's got a kind of a lofty word. Use the other word. Servant. Hey, servant. Right? That's, that's the role. To serve. Submit yourselves to God and resist the devil. Right? In both of those contexts, in 1 Peter 5 and in James 4, and I won't go to it for the sake of time, there's a con connection between pride and Satan. You want to have a toehold for Satan in your life, live in pride. Now, if you're anything like me, that's something you've got to battle regularly. It's not just a one and done. But when you're laying down yourself and your life before God and for His authority and submitting yourself to Him of, I'm not the boss, you're the boss, and I'm doing this for your glory, then you're in a position to resist Satan. And he'll flee from you. But as long as you're trying to have it your way, you, you just left the door open for Satan. And good luck. Because the pride, that's, that's like just setting up those traps for yourself. Satan doesn't even have to do much work on that. You have to walk into them. You know, sometimes we give Satan too much credit. Well, Satan didn't such and such. No. Right. We're led astray by our own lusts, the things that we want to do. He can't force us to fall into any trap. He can lay the traps, but you've been given the discernment and judgment to be able to see them. If your eyes aren't smoky and you're not seeing afar off, right? If you're not barren and unfruitful, you'll be able to see them discerning good and evil because you've been exercising the word of righteousness and you can avoid them. Walk around them. You've got that ability. He's not more powerful than your victorious Savior. All right? So, got one more. Stirring yourself up. Do good. It's not hard. It's not natural to your carnal self. But do good. Those irrational, I can't explain it, I don't know why, um, there's no good reason, but I'm going to go out of my way and I'm just going to help. 
help somebody, just do good. Right? Show mercy. Particularly for those who can't help. That they're in a situation where they just need help. Okay. Do good. The, the patterns of Jesus, wherever he went, what did he do? He did good. Now, he did it at a miraculous level. You don't have to do it at a miraculous level. He said, if you just give that one cup of water to somebody in my name, you're doing it because of me. That's your motivation, right? It's not that motivation. I want to be seen. I want to be a philanthropist. I want my name on a building or a wall. Eh, you've got your reward. You've been seen to men. But if you're doing whatever that small act of kindness is for Jesus' sake, because I want to be like him and I want to please him, it's going to be seen and it's going to be an encouragement to you and it's an encouragement to others. So, what's the big takeaway from all this? Go back to 2 Timothy. I'm just going to read one, one verse one more time and we'll wrap it up. 2 Timothy 1, verse 6. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance. Remind you, you already know this, you already established this, but I'm reminding you that thou, that you, Stir up the gift of God. He's given you all gifts. There are all ways within His kingdom, within His church, that you can serve Him. Whose responsibility is it to stir it up? Yours! Not mine. Not your neighbor's. Not even God's. Sometimes we pray, Lord, revive us! And the Lord can give revival on a mass scale across multiple individuals and nations and things that we can't even imagine. But that does not excuse us from being accountable to Him for how we use the gift that He's given us. It's not up to Him to revive us individually. He's given us new life. He has given you revival that you were dead and now you are alive. Now stir up that's what's been given to you. You've been given more. You've got more responsibility. You've been given less. Well, you've got the amount of responsibility that's been given to you. But you still have to use it. Not for your own glory. That's the wrong motivation. But for... His, not to be seen of men. That's pride. Let that go. But to show Him off, to brag on Him, what He has done. All this is about Him and focusing your life more on Him rather than all the plethora of garbage that's out there. Many other things that we spend so much time and energy and money and cares on that are not the most important thing. So discern what's most important. How do you do that? Well, go exercise yourself in the Word of the Lord. Pray about it. Meditate on it. Converse with other godly companions because maybe we've just missed the boat on a particular passage, but you know someone can teach us. You know, uh, Old Apollos. He was a young man, very eloquent speaker, very gifted. And he came, but you know, he only knew up to the baptism of John. He came and he was preaching the baptism of John with all his heart. It was great. And you know what happened? An older couple, Priscilla and Aquila, pulled him aside and taught the preacher things that he was missing. He he'd missed, you know, the rest of it. The New Testament about Christ and what he'd done. But they did it in a way that he left there and he went and preached Christ. It wasn't a preacher that pulled him aside. It was those in the pew. Or at that time, they're probably sitting in the house, right? Don't be passive. Right? This is not a place where you come to sit and to, you know, just be taught and then go home and not do anything with it. If that's all church is to you, there's a fundamental problem. Your motivation for coming is we're coming here to worship God. We're taking up time of our week and we're deliberately going to worship God in every song that we sing. So do you need to be singing? Yeah, you need to be singing. I'll sing on key. I don't care. I love that verse about make a joyful noise. But let it be joyful. Sing from the heart and praise and worship your God. The songs are great to remind you and get your heart prepared and ready to hear his word. And then, yes, you're listening and you're, you're attentive but more important is what you do afterwards. Right? Okay, you, you came and you sat through it. Check the box. You know, there's not going to be a midterm for me. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there, there, there is at lunch. Sorry. <laughs> I will ask. And, oh, just, are you interested? Are you caring? Are you growing? I mean, I would like each of you to be stirred up. But I can't do it for you. I can set an example. And that's what, I mean, and so to that, I need to stir myself up so you can see what it looks like. And I need to be doing these things. And I need to be able to describe it and be, sh give you the opportunity to, to see me try. Yeah, that's great. But the follow-through is going to be on your end. 
And this has no bearing on where you end up in eternity. Christ has already worked that out. That's fixed. That's secured. This is how do you glorify Him here? I don't want to be swamp water Christians. I don't want to be tepid. You shouldn't want to be either. Am I a campfire that gives off no light and no heat? What glory is that for he who made the fire? Y'all been around a campfire that, yeah, there's a few little coals glowing, but good luck trying to read by it or walk away. You don't feel anything from it. That's sorry. The one who made me is worthy of a bonfire. You should see it from miles off. I don't know what's up with that guy, but he's different. He's weird. I'm going to see what's going on. He's excited about something. Do you have something to be excited about this morning? You do! And if it's not real to you this morning, you need to stir yourself up. So, I thank y'all for your time and attention, and may you be stirred. May you do some stirring.